Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. statement that we make often at Hope that simply says this, church is not an event you attend. Church is a family to which you belong. And before we are anything else, we are a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the reality is that in every healthy family, Emphasis on the word healthy, right? In every healthy family, there are some moments when the family gathers together around a table to just have a family conversation. And that's really what we're doing last weekend and this weekend as a church family. Normally, if you're visiting with us, I'm not normally sitting down up here around a table when we get to this part in the service. Normally, we have a more traditional kind of pulpit and I'm standing to teach. But we just felt really led of the Spirit over these two weekends to just sit down together as best we can as a family and have a conversation. In in healthy families, one of the conversations that always comes up is a conversation that is so famous, we've simply called it the talk, right? Moms and dads, you know what I'm talking about. When you get to that place in the lives of your kids, when you sit down with them and begin to have the talk, helping them understand about sex and what sex is. And we just, out of a sense of real burden as a family of faith and as pastors and out of a sense of responsibility, we really felt led of the Lord to take two weekends and sit down together and have the talk, have an honest conversation about God's design for sex. If you missed last weekend, I really want to encourage you to go online because you need both of these bookends together to really understand what we've been teaching. But, but it's really built around a principle. Jesus said this in John chapter 8 and verse 32. He said, and you will know thee, say it out loud, truth. Say it again, truth. And the truth will make you, say it out loud. Here's the reality. We have an enemy and we have our flesh that is lying to us in society. We have a culture that in many ways is deceived when it comes to sex and sexuality. And the Word of God is where we find the truth. And God has given us His truth to set us free. The two words that (laughs) this morning, as I was praying about today's services and just praying over what God was going to do today, the two words that God really put in my heart were the words healing, and freedom. Because when you think about a group of people this size, there's a lot of sexual brokenness in a room like this. And my prayer today is that beyond the words of a sermon, beyond the words of a church service, that the Holy Spirit of God would take the truth 
the truth that God has given us in His Word. And first and foremost, He would bring healing where there's hurt and pain and brokenness. And then He would bring freedom that the truth of God would set us free. Because the reality is, the only way for you and I to experience this kind of freedom and victory is to expose the lies of the enemy to the truth of God and then by faith believe the truth. So that's really what we're trying to do. So last weekend, I gave you a defining statement about sex, and we unpacked it last week. I want to put it back up on the screen so that you can see it again this morning. Here's what we said last week, that sex is God's idea given as a gift to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. Sex is God's idea given as a gift to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. We said last weekend three things. Number one, that sex is God's idea, meaning that we didn't come up with the idea. Human beings did not create sex. God did. And we've allowed our society to drag sex into the dark corners and back alleys of our culture and make it dirty and cheap and ugly. But when we understand that sex is something that God created and God made, you can begin to see sex as holy and right and pure. But beyond that, we said that sex is God's idea given as a gift. God gave us this beautiful gift of sex and sexuality, and we talked about three reasons why He gave it to us. He gave it to us, obviously, for reproduction. If you've had any sex education at all, then you know about the reproductive aspect of sex. But He gave it to us for more than just reproduction. He gave us sex for oneness or relational intimacy. And then finally, He gave us sex for physical enjoyment. And it's only with the next statement that sex is God's idea given as a gift to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. Only in the husband-wife relationship can the totality of sex as God gave it to us be enjoyed. Reproduction, physical oneness and intimacy, and um, physical pleasure and enjoyment. So in God's divine wisdom, He gave us this beautiful gift of sex. But in his wisdom, he gave it to us with a clearly defined boundary. Sex is to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. One of the most beautiful sights that I've ever seen in my life is a site that is found in Cape Town, South Africa. I've been there on numerous occasions and had the privilege several times to go and visit what I want to put up on the screen, a picture of Table Mountain. You can see where they get the name Table Mountain, right? It looks like a flat top table. You're looking at it from the shoreline of the island, Robben Island, where Nelson Mandela was imprisoned for many, many years there off the coast of Cape Town, South Africa. That's Table Mountain. You're looking at the bay there that is is Cape Town, South Africa. Cape Town, South Africa is one of the most beautiful cities I've ever been to in my life. Now, people who are much braver than me, the way they get to the top of Table Mountain is they climb it. It's just pretty much a straight climb up the side of the mountain. Let me show you how I got to the top of Table Mountain, like this. That's how I got there. They have this incredible trolley that you can take or tram, and you can see, I mean, this is really tall. It really takes you up to the peak of this mountain, and you get to stand there, and you get to look out over all of Cape Town, this incredible bay, this beautiful scenery, and then there are these lookout points. I want to show you one of them. 
Here's one of the lookout points. If you can see it in the bottom left corner there, you can see a little guardrail that's placed there. And you can kind of, those guardrails are there at lookout points. And then along the, 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 the edge of Table Mountain, just those cables they have stretched out with some signs warning you to be careful that you're getting close to the edge. Now, let me just encourage you today. Those guardrails are not put there to hurt you. Those guardrails are put there to help you, right? I'm up there, I've been up there several times, and up there when you're on top of the mountain, I mean, whole families come up there on those little trams, and you can get about 50 or 60 people on one of them, and they all come up together, and it's amazing how parents just let their kids just run up there on Table Mountain, and they're just enjoying their freedom, and I'm thinking, man, they can fall off the edge of this table. There's just a little wire keeping you from it, but those, those guardrails are there not to hurt us. The guardrails are there to help us. God gave us sex. He gave it to us as a gift. He established some very clear guardrails. And those guardrails are not there to hurt us. They're there to help us. You see, we must change the way we see God's boundaries. We look at God's boundaries and often we see just through the lens of the lie of the enemy that God put those boundaries there to rob us of all the joy and all the pleasure and all the fulfillment and all the satisfaction of sex outside of marriage between a husband and wife. But the reality is God didn't give us those boundaries to hurt us. God gave us those boundaries to help us. God created human beings. God created sex and sexuality. God knows best how it's to be enjoyed, and he gave us these boundaries to help us. I was reading in Proverbs yesterday. Let me show you a verse on the screen. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 6, 16. Look what it says. He who keeps the commandment keeps his, say it out loud, soul. But he who is careless of conduct will Now, I want you to think about that verse in light of Table Mountain. He who keeps the commandment, who doesn't step over the guardrail, keeps his soul. But he who is careless, what's going to happen? Right? Off the side of the table, down to the bottom. Not a good ending. Think about that in the context of God's boundaries for sex and sexuality. He who keeps the commandment? keeps his soul. Another way the writer of Proverbs said it is that if we keep his commandments, we live. It's a phrase that means to enjoy life. Here's what what God's boundaries do. God's boundaries say, hey, if you'll stay here, you will squeeze every ounce of essence out of life. I will give you all of life that you can enjoy. But if you step outside of these boundaries, There's pain, there's consequence, there's hurt, there's heartache. And we looked at a verse last weekend, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Look at this verse on the screen. He said, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. It cannot be stated any more plainly in the Word of God. Here's the will of God, abstain from (coughs) sexual immorality. Now, last weekend I gave you a definition of sexual sin or sexual immorality. I want to put it back up on the screen. Any sexual expression outside of God's boundary of the relationship of a husband and wife. That's sexual sin. Now here's what tends to happen in Christian circles. 
we like to highlight one or two areas of sexual sin and put them up here on a pedestal and say, well, as long as I'm not doing that, then I'm good in these other things that are more acceptable and maybe something I can just call a mistake or a bad habit. As long as I'm not doing these things. But here's what I want you to hear me say. Any sexual expression outside of the boundary of the relationship between a husband and wife, adultery, pornography, premarital sex, self-stimulation, homosexuality, lustful thoughts, all of these are outside the boundary, and all of these are equally dishonoring to the Lord, and hear me, destructive to our lives, all of them. No ranking, classifications necessary. All of them. Dishonoring to the Lord. Destructive to our lives. Now, some of you are hearing that today for the very first time. And some of you heard some of that last weekend. And you're already sitting here feeling defeated. Some of you are here today and you realize, Pastor, I've already, I've already blown it. I've already stepped outside of God's boundaries. I've already messed up. I, there's no hope for me. Well, I want to encourage you this morning in a couple of ways. Number one, I want you to know you're not alone. Sometimes you come and you sit down in a church like this. And you look around and everybody else in your mind's got it all together. And you're the only one who doesn't. Well, let me just let you in on a little secret. I've met with most of the people here. <laughs> they don't have it all together. There are others in this room that feel just as broken as you feel. They've stepped outside of God's boundaries just as many times as you have. And listen, I want you to hear me say something. It's not just others in this room. If it was just you and me in the room, you're not alone. You see, I had a season in my life before Christ controlled me. Before I allowed Christ to have control of some areas. We're just like a lot of you sitting in the room. And I'm trying to just be transparent this morning so that you can see that none of us have it all together. I've stepped outside of God's boundaries in my life, in my past. And what I'm talking to you about today is not just a 21st century problem. It's a 1st century problem. Matter of fact, I want you to take your Bible, if you haven't, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to read you about a group of Christians that Paul's writing to in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Listen, listen to what it says. Beginning in verse 9. Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? I know what you're thinking. Pastor, I'm not feeling better yet. I'm feeling worse. <laughs> you just affirmed what I was feeling. I've blown, I've blown it. I've stepped outside of God's boundaries. I've already messed up. And you just read it. I don't have a prayer. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, well, let's read on. He says, do not be deceived. Don't lie to yourself. 
Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And I know what you're thinking. Are you going to get to the good part? Because all of that just affirmed what I'm feeling. That God doesn't want me. I'm damaged goods. I'm up on a shelf. I'm no good to God. I've, I've stepped out. Listen, if you look at the list, he lists ten things. Five of them are sexual sin. But read the next verse. Such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. He looks at, get this, he's looking at this crowd of people and he begins to name all of these sexual sins and he says, listen to me, these have no place in the kingdom of God. And listen, that's who you used to be, but listen, that is not who you are anymore in Christ. When Jesus said, when Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, it included sexual sin and brokenness. I wish, I don't have time to unpack it in great detail, but you got to hear these three words. He says, first of all, you were washed. And notice all three of them are in the past tense. It's done. He says, you were Washed. The word washed is a word that means to wash away from it. It speaks of a new beginning, a fresh start. It's the idea of forgiveness. He says, in Christ today, you and I can get a brand new start. We get a fresh beginning by the grace of God. Then look at the second word. He says, you were sanctified. The word sanctified speaks to being set apart for God's glory. And what he's teaching us is because we've now been made holy inwardly through the Holy Spirit, you can now become holy outwardly. The first word speaks to a new beginning. This now speaks to a new way of living that in Christ in me, I can now live out of the overflow of Christ in me and I no longer have to live. I've been set free in Christ. That sin that used to dominate my life, that sin that used to control my life, now not in my strength. In my strength, I'll still fail, but in the strength of the Spirit of God who set me apart and sanctified me, I now can be free. But then look at the third word. This is so good. Look at the third word, justified. Here's what that means. It means to declare righteous. It speaks to a new standing before God. Here's what he's saying. Now I've been given a fresh start in Jesus. I've been given a, a fresh way to live, Christ in me. And now even when I struggle and even when I fail, God doesn't see me as a sinner who is failing. He sees me as a son who is forgiven. And I've been declared right with God. So now my position before God is not rooted in my performance. My standing before God is rooted in my position in Christ. I've been declared righteous before God. I am as loved and accepted by the Father as I will ever be because I'm as loved and accepted by the Father as Jesus Christ Himself. 
You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. So let me give it to you in a statement. That, that we that I really believe God gave us this statement in our teaching team meeting this week. And when I read it in the teaching team meeting, when we put it up on the, on the board, when we were writing it, I just wanted to run up and down the halls and shout glory, hallelujah, because it's so liberating. Look at it on the screen. Listen to what it says. The past is behind me. It may sometimes remind me, but through Christ in me, it no longer defines me. That is not who I am anymore. The past is behind you. That doesn't mean that our old flesh isn't going to try to drag it out. Here's what's going to happen. If you've got sexual sin in your past, there are going to be some times when the enemy comes in front of you and tries to drag it out and say, you're not worthy. Look who you are. Look what you've done. Look how you fail. The flesh is going to drag it out. But listen to me. It no longer defines you. You are now defined through your intimate fellowship relationship with Jesus Christ. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. The past is behind me. It, it may sometimes remind me, but through Christ in me. It no longer defines me. I pray for some of you, even in this moment, you are beginning to experience the healing power of the amazing grace of Almighty God. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm not done preaching yet, so don't get your hopes up, all right? But, but, but we're about to stop right now. And I'm going to ask everybody in the building to just bow your head. I just really want to give a moment for the Holy Spirit of God to speak to every one of us today. And here's the way I want to begin. I want you to begin in confession. you've got sexual sin in your past that you've never been honest with God about or maybe you have sexual sin right now in your present that you are hanging on to here's what I want you to do I want you right now in this moment to get honest with God call it what he calls it don't make an excuse for it don't justify it just drag it out and say Lord here it is God I give it to you Lord I know it's ugly God, I know it's this very sin that you went to the cross to die for. Lord, I know, I know that it doesn't help me, it hurts me. God, I agree with you. You are right and I am wrong. And then here's what I want you to do secondly. I want you to repent of it. Repentance is a change of heart or mind about sin that produces a change of action towards sin. Have you ever confessed it and just surrendered it to Jesus? Some of you have been living with some of this sexual sin for so long that you've just begun to excuse it as who you are. Here's what I'm asking you to do today. By the power of the Holy Spirit of God in you, would you yield it to Him and ask Him to give you victory? Now, this is not a one-and-done prayer moment. Some of us are going to have to do this moment by moment throughout the day, day by day throughout the week, week by week throughout the years. We begin to wrestle with this sexual sin in our lives. But it's about getting honest, confessing, and it's about turning from it. 
Maybe it's a little pet sin that you just excuse. You think nobody knows but me and God. Have you ever turned from it and said, God, I'm leaving it on the altar today? And then here's the third thing I want you to do. Embrace God's amazing forgiveness. Listen to me. Jesus has already died for that sin. Jesus already rose again from the dead as a testimony that God accepted his sacrifice for that sin. Let it go and embrace the washing, sanctifying, justifying work of the Holy Spirit of God as he just cleanses you afresh and anew before God. And let him begin to set you free. Listen, freedom is not going to be found in you making a decision to be different. Freedom is found as moment by moment you live in dependence on on the Holy Spirit, allowing him through you to give you victory over these temptations and vices and difficulties in your life. Holy Spirit of God, for the next few moments, we're just going to be silent. I'm just going to allow you to speak straight to your people. We welcome your presence right now. today that all over this building there are people who are allowing who they are in Christ to define them maybe some of them for the very first time Lord may there be healing and may there be freedom we bless you oh God it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray all of us say together, amen and amen. Is that good news or what? Hey, listen. I had this thought as I was thinking about, about this this morning, this moment. And I went to Hebrews chapter 11. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. And it lists some of the great heroes of the faith. Actually, in Hebrews 11, there are 15 names that are mentioned. All the way back to... The early pages of the Bible. Fifteen names mentioned. And these are people that God used in great ways. Get this. Of the fifteen names mentioned in the hall of faith, nine of them had sexual sin in their past. Nine of them. Don't you let the enemy lie to you. Don't you let the enemy tell you that you are some second-class citizen in the kingdom of God that's been put on a shelf. Nine of the 15 people in Hebrews 11, that's the hall of fame in the Bible, all had sexual sin in their past. But let me tell you what they were. They were washed, they were sanctified, they were justified, and because of that, they were used by God in great and incredible ways. So don't let the enemy drag that stuff out. So here's the big question of the morning then. So what do we do now? We're all on the same page. We all got a fresh start. We've all been given this gift. How do I steward this gift in a way that brings glory 
and honor to the Lord. Well, what I want to do is try to answer that question by talking to three groups of people, okay? So there are going to be some times when I'm talking right to you. Sometimes I'm talking to somebody sitting beside you, but, but that's going to be all right, okay? We're going to make it. Uh, but you need to listen fast because I really have about three sermons worth of content that I need to give you in the next few minutes. So y'all ready for that? So first, I want to talk to singles and students in the room. If you're a single or you're a student, I want to talk to you about how you can steward God's gift of sex. And I want to do this very practically. I'm about to give you maybe as much practical content as I've ever given you in one setting at one time. So take your Bible, turn to Hebrew, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're a student and single, I want you to listen to these words. Listen to what the Bible says. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. If you're a single or a student, three very practical next steps. Here's step number one. Determine the right pursuit. Determine the right pursuit. We live in a culture that is obsessed with finding the right person. It's why there are some television shows that for the last decade have been the top-rated television shows for almost 10 years. They're called The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Some of you are already kind of squirming because you're a closet fan and you don't want anybody to know that your DVR is set for those shows so that you can watch them. But there's an obsession in our culture with finding the right person. Because here's what we've bought into. We've bought into the lie that if you just find the right person, then you will be totally satisfied and all of your needs will be met. The people you hear laughing in the room are all the married people that I'm not talking to yet. Because they're on the other side of the lie and they've discovered uh, that was a lie. You see, there is no human being that can meet your deepest need. There is no human being that can satisfy your deepest longing. And if you are on a mission to find that person and that is the number one pursuit in your life, you are on a mission that is destined to fail. But let me encourage you today. There is someone Who can do that? And his name is Jesus. Jesus said about himself, he said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The word abundantly is a Greek word that means more than enough. Here's what he's saying. Jesus said, I've come to give you a life. I'm putting more on your plate than you can possibly eat. I'm going to fill you. I'm going to satisfy you. I'm going to make you complete. And what we've done is we've believed the lie of the enemy and we've substituted a pursuit of Jesus for a pursuit of somebody. Oh, we want them to have Jesus, but we just want to pursue them more than we want Jesus. Let me say it to you this way. If you're a single or a student, stop pursuing your future mate 
Start pursuing Jesus. And he will bring that person into your life as he so chooses. Let me show it to you in a little simple diagram that I had our team draw this week. See, Jesus at the top, that's where he always belongs. Amen? Jesus at the top. Man and woman. Look what it says in the middle. As you both pursue him, he will bring you together. So look at this image. Man, woman, as they both pursue Jesus, what's happening to them? Closer together. Now look here. If only one of them is pursuing Jesus, what's happening? Further apart. If neither is pursuing Jesus, they're already apart. The only way for you to find the person that God has for you as a spouse here on earth is as you pursue him. you got to determine the right pursuit. Happened for me when I was in college. I got to college and uh, come to know the Lord. And I thought, man, the next thing i got to find is i got to find a wife. So I went on a series of about nine one-month relationships <laughs> where... About two weeks in, you know, oh, I love you. About three weeks in, oh, I can't stand this person, right? You know what I'm talking about. And that's what they were saying to me, right? They, they couldn't stand me. And then God brought me to a place of brokenness out of Psalm 73 where, G, where, where God says this in Psalm 73. He said, whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. And here's what I said to the Lord. Lord, if you want me to be single for the rest of my life. Now, Lord, not what I want. But, Lord, it's not about what I want. God, it's about what you want. And, Lord, I confess I've been pursuing others more than I've been pursuing you. So, Lord, if you want me to be single the rest of my life, God, I'm willing. I surrender to you. And it was only when I stopped pursuing others and started pursuing him that then ultimately God brought the woman into my life that I've been married to now for 23 years. And it was out of that pursuit of him. So here's what I'm telling you. Listen, if you're a student or you're a single, determine the right pursuit, number one. Number two. Establish biblical boundaries. Establish biblical boundaries. He says here in verse 3, he says, abstain from sexual immorality. That word abstain, it's, in a, it's written in a way that describes an ongoing continuous action, and it literally means to keep oneself from. What he's really saying here is you are to build some boundaries, and you're to constantly work to make sure that you're keeping yourself away from sexual sin. You're to establish biblical boundaries. And there's no way in one morning's talk I can go through all the boundaries that somebody needs to set. And each individual has to, before the Lord, determine their own set of boundaries because it depends on your own wiring. Some of us are wired differently, and it means we need to have a different set of boundaries than somebody else has. But I want to read you what I believe. If you're a student or single, I'm telling you, the next two minutes of this talk, is worth its weight in gold. What, what God's showing us in his word right here, I believe, is the most clarifying statement on biblical boundaries you'll ever read in the Bible when it comes to sexual purity. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 6. I want to put it back up on the screen. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother. That word brother is a term that means brother or sister in the family. Let no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. What matter? Well, what's he talking about in this whole passage? He's talking about sexual sin. Just before this, he says abstain from sexual immorality. Let no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter of sexual sin because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Now, those two words are so important, transgress and defraud. Get this. The word transgress is a word that means to go beyond. It's the idea of stepping over the boundary. It's the idea of going beyond. Too far. You ever heard that, singles and students? How far is too far? That's exactly what he's talking about here. Where's the line? Where's the boundary? How far? But then the second word is the word defraud. Interesting word. In the Greek language, it's a compound word. And when you put it together, it has a powerful meaning. The first part of that Greek word is the word pleon, which is a word that means more. The second part of that word is the word echo, It's a word that means to have. When you put it together, this is a word, the word defraud is to cause somebody to have a desire for something that you cannot fulfill. So get this. Here's the statement I want you to see, the boundary. When I've created a desire in someone that I cannot righteously satisfy I have gone too far that's what he says in this text when you create a desire in someone else that you cannot righteously satisfy you have transgressed you've stepped over God's boundary and you've defrauded you've created a desire in your brother or sister in Christ that you can't righteously fulfill The boundary is when I create a desire that I can't righteously satisfy, I've gone too far. And this is going to vary from person to person because each of us is wired differently. And you're going to have to find where those lines are for you. But here's the problem. Here's what we too often ask as students and singles. How close can I get to the line? Don't look at me spiritual. I know we've all been there. How close can I get to the line? And still be okay with God. And here's the heart of what he's saying here. God set me apart for his glory. I should want to be so far from the line that I don't even create a desire in somebody that I can't righteously satisfy. You see the difference? Now, there are all kinds of applications of this. For example... Physical contact. you got to set boundaries on where the lines are with physical contact to students and singles. What's the boundary? (laughs) When you've created a desire you can't righteously satisfy, that's too far. Dress. The way we dress, our appearance. We need to make sure we're not offering something on the plate that it's not okay for them to eat. Come on now. Why is that important? Is that, is that the church being legalistic? No. God gave us a boundary to help us 
He doesn't want us to get hurt. He didn't want us to have the scar. So he gave us this boundary that said, don't create a desire in somebody that you can't righteously satisfy and how you approach them and how you dress around them and the time that you spend together. you got to set times on, on, on when you'll be alone together. I, I've told my kids, there's not anything happening after 11 o'clock at night, one-on-one, that's of any value. Not anything happening. So you got to set some boundaries in your life to make sure that you're guarding the gift that God's given you. Here's the third statement. You need to welcome accountability through community. You can't do this by yourself. If you think I can, well, I'm only going to pursue the Lord. I'm going to let Him bring my mate. I'm going to set some boundaries and I'm going to do it on my own. You are destined for failure. It's difficult everywhere. It's impossible in our city. Let me read you a verse out of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live, look what he said. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who, when he falls, there's not another to lift him up. You need to welcome accountability. The Christian life was never designed to be lived in isolation for others. So here's the question. Who are you walking with in community that knows you well enough to speak into your life? And get this, if you're going to set biblical boundaries, you need some other people to help you set those boundaries. Let me tell you why. Because there's some stuff you can't see. That's why we call them blind spots. You've got some areas that are weaknesses in your life that if you're not doing community with some other people, you can't see those things and they need to help you set those boundaries in a way that sets you up for success and for victory in Christ. You ever watch the Discovery Channel? Which gazelle gets eaten? Let me tell you which one. The one that's furthest from the herd. The Bible says we have an enemy who prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And if you're out there trying to live this thing called Christianity, specifically as it applies to the gift of, uh, of sex that God's given us, your purity, if you're out there trying to live that in isolation on your own, let me just tell you something. You are headed for failure. You cannot do it by yourself. So there's students and singles. Determine the right pursuit. Establish biblical boundaries. Welcome accountability through community. If that's helpful, students and singles, say amen. Let me give you the second one. I want to talk to husbands and wives. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, look what it says. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Pretty strong statement about the fight once we're married for the purity and sanctity of what God's given us inside of marriage. The word honor here is, again, a powerful word. It's a word that was used in Greek culture to refer to a precious stone. It was when someone was given a precious gem, how they handled it. There was an honoring. There was a, a, a valuing of that preciousness, that, that precious gift. He says that God's given us an incredible gift of sex inside of marriage, and we are to honor, we're to treat it as a precious gift, a valuable gift that's come from God. Well, how do we do that? Let me give you some statements. Number one, next to your pursuit of Jesus, pursue your spouse above all else. Next to your pursuit of Jesus, pursue your spouse above all else. Notice how this differs from a single person. 
The single person, they just have to determine the right pursuit. Just pursue Jesus. Once you get married, you need to pursue Jesus first. But next to Jesus, you need to pursue your spouse above everything else. That's why Paul, when he wrote in 1 Corinthians, said about him being single, Paul said, it'd be better if you could remain as I am. Because when you're single, you only got to worry about one thing, pursue Jesus. Once you get married, now you've brought this other person into your life. And next to Jesus, we have a responsibility to now pursue our spouse. And listen, above all else, above our kids, above our family, above our career, above every, our hobbies, everything else, this pursuit of our spouse. And the way the New Testament describes this is an ongoing, consistent pursuit. Every verb used in the New Testament to describe the husband and wife relationship, love, respect, honor, submit, all of them are in the present active tense. They're all ongoing, continuous action. Even in this area of sex and sexuality, we're to continue as husbands and wives to pursue one another. I don't have time to read it today. You can go read it on your own. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 7 is all about Paul writing to husbands and wives and telling them to stop depriving each other physically, that they're to continue to pursue each other physically. That's part of the marriage relationship. But this idea of pursuing each other is more than just physical. It's mental, it's emotional, it's physical, it's spiritual. It's a totality of pursuit. And I want to give you just the target that my wife and I use just as an example. And I want you to see this for what it is. It's a target. We're not perfect at it. We get off of it sometimes. But we use this to calibrate our relationship. Here's our target for how to pursue each other. Here's our rhythm of pursuit. Pray daily either for each other or with each other, date weekly, escape monthly. Escape is kind of an all-day kind of date. Get away quarterly. It's an overnight, just she and I together, three or four times a year. And then annually, we try to retreat. It's three or four days away, just us. What is that? That's our target. Again, don't hear me saying we're perfect. We're not, but here's, what, here's the way we use this tool. Sometimes my wife has to come to me and say, hey, we're, we're off. Sometimes I have to go to her and say, hey, we're off here. It's a target that we've established in our lives to give us something to aim at in this pursuit of each other. And here's all I'm asking you to do. Establish a target that you're aiming at. Because here's what I can promise you, husband and wife, you'll never hit something you're not aiming at. Is it even on your radar to be intentional about pursuing your spouse? Here's the second word. Establish biblical boundaries. You see, this thing of setting boundaries doesn't end when you get married. It changes, but it doesn't end. The enemy would love to destroy the purity of your marriage. So we have to continue to build boundaries physically, mentally, emotionally. That's why he said in Hebrews, keep the marriage bed undefiled. It's a word that means having nothing in it that defiles, pollutes, or stains. And that's more than just physical. It's mental, it's emotional, it's spiritual. We're to guard against that. I'll give you some examples in my life. And again, I'm just trying to be transparent to, to let you see that I battle the same stuff you're battling. Sometimes you see me up here and you think I got it all together. No way, man. I battle the same stuff you're battling. So I've had to set some boundaries. For example, when it comes to the internet and social media, I've got some boundaries in place, some safeguards. Because you can get in trouble. You would be shocked if you knew the number of affairs, the percentage of affairs that began in an online conversation through a social media website. It's staggering. 
staggering. You have some boundaries and safeguards. I've got a boundary in my life <coughs> that was born I had about seven years ago, eight years ago. One of my best friends fell morally in ministry. And I walked through that with him to help bring him to restoration. And you know what I learned out of that? That any of us are capable of anything under heaven. And so here's a boundary that I've placed in my life. I, I travel a lot with my job, with the platform that God's given me. I, I spend a lot of time traveling. But here's what I've done. I, I made a, my wife and I prayed about this. Our stewardship team prayed about this. I never travel alone. If I'm going anywhere in the world, they don't have to pay me a dime to come speak anything. But they got to buy two plane tickets or I won't come. Let me tell you why. I realized I'm one hotel hallway, one hotel hallway away from ruining everything that God's done in my life. And so what did I do? I built some safeguards and some boundaries in my life. So I take one of the men off of our team or I take one of the members of my family and let it be an opportunity for us to grow together and to spend time with them pouring into their lives. Why do I do that? Because boundaries and safeguards. And here's the great measuring stick for your boundaries because you also need some in social engagements. Going to lunch with people of the opposite sex, riding in the car with people of the opposite sex, you need some boundaries. You say, well, how do I know if my boundaries are good? Here's the way you know, husbands and wives. Here's the way you know. Ask your spouse. And when you ask them, shut up and listen. Don't defend. Don't justify. Don't explain away. Ask your spouse, is my boundary in this area something that makes you comfortable? Here's what I wrote down this morning. If my wife's heart is troubled, I need a better boundary. If through my boundaries, I'm breeding insecurity in the life of my spouse, it's not on my spouse to get over it. It's on me to build a better boundary to guard and protect the heart of my spouse. And that's a two-way street. Establish biblical boundaries. Here's the third principle. Welcome accountability through community. Sounds a lot like singles, right? Because it is. Husbands and wives, you can't do it alone either. We need others in our life. I have two people that at least every two or three weeks are looking me in the eyeball, and here's what they're asking me. Tell me about your relationship with your wife. Tell me about how, how your dates, you guys going out, you carving out time. Does your wife feel like that you're valuing her and giving her priority above everything else next to Jesus? They're asking me those questions every two to three weeks in my life. Why? Because I need accountability. I can't do this on my own. Welcome accountability through community. Husbands and wives, if that's helpful, say amen. amen. Let me talk to the third and final group, parents and grandparents. Parents and grandparents. Turn to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Now, remember what I'm giving you here. We've talked about this principle. What I'm giving you now is practical next steps. So here's what I want you to ask the Lord. Lord, out of this series, what's my next step? What do I need? Maybe you need to leave here and establish some biblical boundaries. Maybe you need to leave here, get some accountability. What's your next step? In Proverbs chapter 4, look at verse 23. And remember this, Proverbs is written from the perspective of a father speaking to his kids or a mom speaking to her children. Some of the chapters, most of the chapters are a dad speaking to his kids, but Proverbs 31 is really a mom speaking to her son. Look at verse 23 of chapter 4. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. You hear what he's telling his kids? Guard your heart. Guard what God's... How do you do that? Verse 24. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Here's what he's saying. Watch what you listen to. Verse 25. Let your eyes look directly ahead of you and let your gaze be fixed. What's he saying? Guard what you look at. Verse 26. Watch the path of your feet. What's he saying there? 
Watch where you go. This dad is speaking into the life of his kids, and he's saying, listen, you need to guard what you look at. You need to guard what you listen to. You need to guard where you go. And then get this. Proverbs chapters 5, 6, and 7 are all about sexual sin. So he ends Proverbs chapter 4 by saying, guard your heart, what you listen to, what you look at, where you go. And then he says, specifically in the area of sexual sin. If you read in chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 15, all the way to the end of the chapter is about sexual sin. Chapter 6, starting in verse 27, all the way to the end of the chapter is about sexual sin. Chapter 7, the entire seventh chapter of Proverbs is about sexual sin. Parents and grandparents have a responsibility. Here's here's step one. Have the talk. Let me just say it very bluntly. Especially after the last two weekends. If you are a parent and grandparent in this fellowship who love Jesus, there is no excuse for you not to have this conversation with your kids. There is no excuse. And let me say it even more boldly. You don't love your kids like you say you love your kids if you don't have this conversation with them. Because let me tell you something, the world's having the conversation. The enemy's trying to lure them away to destruction, and we have a responsibility to have the talk. Love demands it. If you have your kids up on top of Table Mountain and you don't tell them about the boundary, you don't love your kids. If you're not helping them understand the boundaries, have the talk. Number two, keep the communication open. Here's what I mean by that. This conversation, the talk, is not a one-and-done deal, okay? You don't have to talk with your kids and then go, thank God we never have to talk about that again. That's not how it works. It's an open conversation. Here's what's going to happen. Your kids are going to face sexual temptation. Your kids are going to have sexual desires for things outside of God's boundaries. Your kids will even have moments when they struggle And when they fall. And let me tell you what they don't need you doing in that moment. They don't need you blowing your top. Let me tell you what they do need. They do need you to be armed and equipped by the Holy Spirit of God. To be ready in those moments to take the truth of the Word of God. And bring application into their lives. Because those conversations are going to shape the future decisions that they're going to make. Doesn't mean we can't be upset. Listen, sometimes before we have the conversation, we got to walk in another room and pray the Holy Spirit of God to bring our emotions under control. I get it. But if that's what you need to do, do it. In that moment, it is too critical that you do not respond in your flesh and in anger and in blowing your top and in how could you. Because often what that is is pride in our own heart as parents because somehow this is going to look negatively on us. We need in that moment to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and equipped with the truth of God that in all grace and humility, knowing that we've made the same mistakes in our own past, we need to be ready to speak into the lives of our kids. Moses gave the law in the Old Testament, and a lot of the law dealt with sexual boundaries. But I want you to listen to what Moses said after he finished reading them the law. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he's talking to parents. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Here's what he's saying. Watch for the teaching moments that are going to cross your path 
where you get this. Listen, we can't control stuff that comes across a television screen, that you drive by on the street on a billboard. You can't control all that stuff. But here's what you can do. You can control how you react to it. When you've had the conversation, then you keep the communication open. When that stuff happens, you begin to teach your kids and say, you know what, hey, I I struggle with that too. I battle that stuff. When I see that, I, I, I battle with it too. And you begin to teach them about how to do the battle how to engage in the battle, how to experience victory in the battle, keep the conversation open. And let me encourage you, moms and dads, your kids are hearing you even when you don't think they're listening. I know you think they've got you tuned out, but let me tell you something. From personal experience, i got three kids now in college, the Holy Spirit of God is often going to speak to them in moments of temptation with your very words. It'll be your words that the Spirit of God will bring to their mind. It'll be the truth that God used you to plant in their hearts. That you are planting seeds in every one of those conversations that is equipping the Holy Spirit of God to be ready to bring victory into their lives when temptation comes. Keep the conversation open. And in our household, we just tried to make it where there was nothing off the table. Once we'd had the conversation, our kids could talk. They could ask a question about anything that dealt with this area. Didn't have to be embarrassed or ashamed. They could ask a question about it. Keep the conversation open. Number three, establish rite of passage moments. Establish rite of passage moments. You say, what is that? Well, it's something that we've used in our family that's been a huge practical step for us. And here's what I mean by that. With my boys and my girls, it's looked different. We've gone through with all four of our kids now, we've had the talk, at least the biological parts of that talk. With our three older kids, we've done this rite of passage moment. For my boys, it looked like a getaway weekend. I took the boys by myself, me and them individually, and we went away. We spent the night away, and we did guy stuff. We ate guy food. We watched guy movies. We played guy sports. We just did guy stuff. But at a point in the weekend, I sat them down, and I talked to them about a gift that God has given them. A lot of the things that we've talked about over these two weekends, I talked to them about this gift and how they have been given this gift, and they are to steward this gift. And that one day it's their responsibility to give this gift to the person that God is reserving for them. And as they pursue Jesus, God's going to bring that person into their lives. And they're going to get to give that gift to that person and enjoy it inside the boundaries that God... So it was a rite of passage for my sons where I put on them as men the responsibility of not only guarding their gift, but of sharing in the responsibility of guarding the gift of every young woman that they would ever have the privilege of going out on a date with. That they had a responsibility to not only steward and guard their own gift, but to guard and protect the young women that they would pursue in relationships. And then with our girls, it looks differently. I took my daughter, my oldest daughter. It looks more instead of a night away, it's a, it's a, a big night out. It's a big date. We dress up. We go to a real fancy place for dinner. <laughs> I took them to a really nice event show here, Broadway show. And, um, but at a point in dinner... I sat my daughter across the table and I talked to her about a gift. And I had a gift box in my hand. And I said, God's given you a gift. Talked about her purity. And I gave her a ring that was in that box. And I gave my daughter this ring. And, and here's what I asked from her. I said, I said, what I'm asking you to do is to promise that by God's grace, you'll do everything you can to steward what this gift represents. I gave her that ring. I placed it on her finger. She accepted that promise from me. 
And here's what I told her I wanted to do. I said, babe, here's what I want you to do. One day, I want you to take that ring. I want you to walk down an aisle, and I want you to be able to hand that ring to a young man that God has preserved for you. And in all purity and in all sincerity, I want you to be able to give that gift to him and enjoy it completely inside the boundary that God has given you. And here's what my kids know, because I've told them this. When it comes to their purity, here's what my kids know. There are going to be some days you don't like your mom and me. But we're good with that. Because I'm living for the day and we're living for the day as mom and dad. When we get to stand at an altar and put your hand in the hand of your future mate. And here's what I know. You may not like me today, but you'll love me on that day. If we've established some of these convictions and boundaries for them. So here's the last thing and I'm done. you got to fight for the purity of your children and grandchildren. Once you've had the talk and helped them establish boundaries, listen to me very carefully. Be a parent. Stop trying to be their friend. Be a parent. And listen to me. If you will be a parent, When God has called you to be a parent, they will be your friend for the rest of your life. But if you forsake the role and responsibility of being their parent and sacrifice it on the altar of you trying to win them over as your friend, you may lose them on both counts for the rest of your life. Be a parent. Listen, mom and dad, grow up. It's okay that they don't like you. They're a kid. They don't know what they like yet. It's okay if they storm off to their room. It's okay if they say, I hate you. It's okay. Now, I'm not saying it's okay for them, all right? But it's okay for you. Grow up. Put on our big boy pants and let's be moms and dads. Listen to me. The world is fighting for the souls of our children. The world is fighting for the sexual purity of our children. It is time that we as moms and dads, full of Jesus, equipped with grace and truth, fulfill our God-given responsibilities as parents and fight for the purity of the next generation. We owe it to them to be there. So there you go. Fight for the purity of your kids. So there are next steps for all three of those areas. 